Hey there, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Kaderna podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna, and I'm happy to have you with us. Today, we're going to be featuring one of our special guests, who is none other than Sharina Anki Kroll. We'll be discussing her unique journey, which began as an archaeologist. That's right, digging up fossils and rocks in Morocco and other sites all around the world, but then took a sharp turn as she founded one of the most sought-after law firms in New York City at the age of 27. For those of you not yet familiar with Sharina, she's a practicing attorney in New York and New Jersey, working exclusively with entrepreneurs and small business owners. She has niches in the pet industry, fashion, and the creatives, which we'll define in a moment. Sharina's received numerous awards and recognitions for her work in the legal field. Most notably, she's been elected six consecutive times as a rising star super lawyer, a recognition given to no more than 2.5% of all attorneys in each state. And we'll talk about why she's still considered rising as well. She's given countless talks and presentations at places, institutions such as NYU, the Fashion Institute of Technology, the City University of New York. You may have also seen her on Fox TV, radio shows, and many podcasts just like this one. But what's really cool is over the last few years, Sharina has developed an app called Meetpreneur. It's a groundbreaking location-based business networking app that allows networking to be more welcoming, accessible, and efficient for everyone. Meetpreneur connects entrepreneurs from all industries, anywhere, anytime, whether it's around the corner, at a conference, at the airport, you name it. Meetpreneur is now free to download and currently available at any of your app stores, whether it's Google Play for the Android or at the App Store on your iOS devices. You can reach Sharina at www.ankycrolllaw.com. Now, I do have to read a disclaimer uh, before we begin today's episode. Please note that the material presented by Sharina Anki Kroll is for informational purposes only. It is general in nature and is not intended to and should not be relied upon or construed as a legal opinion or legal advice regarding any specific issue or factual circumstance. If you do need legal advice, please contact info at ankycrolllaw.com. I'll also put that in today's show notes. So without further ado, please help me welcome Sharina Anki Kroll. The Kaderna Podcast. The Kaderna Podcast. The Kaderna Podcast. Yes. So, okay. you know, uh, based on what your business type and goals uh, for your business would be, the type of entity that I would end up recommending for you may be different from some, someone else's, or, you know, it most likely would be different because no one's goals are, you know, are the same and no one's business is exactly the same. So even though they're all small businesses, they would have different requirements um, that would probably be better suited for a different type of entity. Okay. And what about, um, the, uh, like you said, I'm sure every situation is unique, but it seems like everybody and their brother now is opening up an LLC. Do you see that to be like a knee-jerk reaction for someone opening a small business? It just seems that that's like the, the overwhelming amount of small businesses today are limited liability companies. So that is the easiest one to maintain. And that's probably the reason why that is like the go-to um, type of business entity for um, for a startup or for, you know, someone that wants to keep the business small because it's a flow-through business entity, meaning you only file taxes once, you know, as yourself. Um, mm -hmm. You don't have to do it once for your company and then once for yourself. So it's easy to maintain. There are no, you know, annual meeting requirements. Um, no other you know, additional filing requirements as far as um, when you compare it with a corporation, there's a lot more formalities, a lot more corporate formalities that you must uh, perform throughout the year. So this is, this is why it's, it's a very uh, attractive option for startups. And you know, it still does provide you with, a, with some protection as far as um, your business assets and your personal assets go. So it does create a division but it's a lot easier to maintain. So that is why you're, you, you know, you probably noticed that. Yeah, definitely. And so with, with that in mind, like, do you see that a, a lot of changes are occurring since the recent tax laws? I know that um, a lot of people are actually changing the structure of their business 
uh, is that more just in the, the kind of the media is like a big talking point or is that happening, you know, in reality? So, um, well, I can't talk on tax matters, unfortunately, because of ethics rules, <laughs> because I don't <laughs> practice tax law, but yeah. there are tax implications, obviously, you know, um, you know, if you're just doing business as a sole prop without having any formal business entity in place, you're going to have tax implications that'll be different from if you have an LLC or if you have a corporation or if you have a partnership um, or, you know, a S corp. So it all depends. What I would say is, you know, there are always, the tax laws are always evolving. That's one of the other reasons yeah. I didn't want to get into it on top of it being extremely boring from the surface. <laughs> um, I agree. So, yeah. So if you have any questions regarding taxes, you know, I would definitely recommend, uh, you know, your listeners to talk to a tax advisor, like a tax attorney or a CPA. Got it. Okay. That's good advice. And it, with, I mean, we're kind of like in this do it yourself generation where everybody wants to just look online, find that quick solution and then say, how can I do it either conveniently or cheaply? What's your take on, um, you know, when a person or partners should consult somebody like yourself or can they just go online and set up that LLC or that partnership? You know, what are some of your thoughts in that regard? Sure. So, you know, Brian, I see a lot of um, a lot of clients uh, who try to do it themselves and then they come to me when things are, you know, things have gone wrong. And I love mm -hmm. that. I love that because I can charge more at that point to undo a lot of, uh, to undo a lot of the mistakes that they made along the way. But do I like it? No, because I rather have them start start with a clean slate. So if my advice, and it's obviously not a legal advice, um, it's it's more of a business advice, um, is that if you are thinking about starting a business, or even if you have an idea that you want to take forward um, and see where it goes, I would advise that you talk to an attorney um, first before you even speak to your friends about it, before you think it's a great idea to move forward and, and do it on your own, talk to an attorney first. Um, they may even say that, you know, if you want to go try it on your own, go ahead and try it. Because even I have said that to clients before because they are so adamant about not having to pay attorney fees that they would rather do it themselves. And you cannot force people to hire an attorney because our legal system is made in a way that if you wanted to do things on your own, you could. Would I recommend it? Absolutely not. Um, I would definitely say, you know, as soon as you have the idea, speak to, a, speak to an advisor instead of your friends or family. There are mm -hmm. two reasons for that. One being your friends and family most likely are not experts on, uh, in this field. And then the second reason, and it's often a really big reason, is that a lot of times other people's negativity is projected onto you, right? So if you have this great idea, even before you got to, you know, start it, Someone may put your idea down by mm -hmm. saying, hey, it may not work. Um, why do you think it'll work? Why do you think something that's already out there is not better, is, is not better than what you're already, what you're thinking now? So by that, they have effectively killed your enthusiasm and any potential of you seeing any success, right? So that's why I say talk to an advisor as early as you can, as soon as, 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 soon as you can, um, without trying to do it on your own because trust me there are things that you do not know even if you have done your research got it and so Serena I think one of the things even me speaking with a lot of clients feel deterred about in the legal field are those you know billable hours and those legal fees so when somebody has that initial idea and says you know what I want to be a business owner is it common practice that that a law firm will say okay you know we'll speak with my assistant my paralegal we'll set up a meeting and that first meeting, regardless of what we talk about, it's going to be $100. Like, what are some of the formats that yourself or other attorneys are using uh, to, to cultivate a client before they're getting hit with the bill? Sure. So, um, as I mentioned you know, earlier, I work exclusively with small business owners. And over the years, um, I have found that they really absolutely hate hourly fees. Um, and that's because they don't know what the end result is going to be, meaning how much are they going to end up spending at the very end? Nobody knows that. The attorney doesn't know that. The clients don't know that. 
So what I have done over the years, and because I, you know, I no longer do litigation, I'm able to do this. Um, I, I actually do flat fees for most of my services. So a consultation, you know, is is one fifty over the phone, which is really nothing, and it's it's just a way for me to see if the is actually serious in talking to an attorney um, if they value their time. Um, 150 is not going to make anyone rich, but it, it helps me to sift through clients who are serious and who are not. So there you already have a screening process to see if you and the client are a good fit. Because just like anything else, um, it has to be a good relationship, right? Because you would be mm -hmm. working together. So I have flat fees for the consultation. I have flat fees for drafting contracts, depending on the, you know, the length of the contract and the subject matter. I also charge flat fees for trademark applications and copyright applications. So these, these have all come down to, you know, uh, me knowing approximately how long something's going to take. And for me, letting my clients know that, hey, this is exactly, or potential clients rather, but this is exactly how much it will cost. Um, so they feel good knowing that they're not spending more than that. And I feel good knowing that they can actually afford the services and not, you know, not say, okay, yeah, let's do this and then not be able to pay. Got it. Okay. And do you find that a lot of law firms will give an option there that says, you know, you could do hourly or we'll quote you a flat rate or do you find attorneys like to define themselves as one or the other? Um, I know a lot of people do have the hybrid model where it could be, you know, hourly or flat fee. I used to even myself do that a few years ago. Um, I'm sure you can find attorneys who even do just hourly. They won't take any flat fees. Um, but, you know, it really depends on the law firm. That's why it's so important for everyone to do their research on who they're hiring and for them to have a conversation with the attorney they'll be working with just to make sure everything that they're expecting is out there. Um, so they're not left disappointed. Um, I myself have found that flat fees work the best for my clients and mm -hmm. uh, for my, for me uh, as an attorney. So that's what I've kind of uh, stuck to. However, you have to keep in mind that depending on the type of law that it is the attorney's practicing, it may not be even possible to do a flat fee because with litigation, we never know when it's going to end. Uh, we don't know the outcome ever. Um, so it would be really impossible for someone to come and ask me for a flat fee to like represent them in court because I wouldn't have an idea of how long it will take. Got it. That's fair. I think most would understand that too. And so I know that you, you've talked a lot about working with business owners and entrepreneurs, uh, you know, which I'm in that market quite a bit as well. But do you, have you carved out, you know, a niche or do you find uh, most of your clients kind of fit into a certain category? Yeah, so um, I actually have um, three niche uh, uh, areas that I, I focus on. I work a lot with fashion, so fashion. the fashion industry is one uh, that I really love. Um, I work with pet businesses, uh, as you mentioned during the intro, and I also work a lot with creatives. So that's, a, that's the broadest umbrella, I suppose. And that's the area where the traditional businesses um, don't really, I guess, explain what my clients are doing, right? So for example, um, a creative would be someone who you know, goes out and puts body glitter on, on people, right? On their faces, on their, on their arms, on their hair. I have a client who does that, who would go out and she would put glitter on people. So, I mean, if I'm explaining that, that and trying to fit that into an industry, I don't, I don't really know what industry will fit into. So when I say, <laughs> yeah. So when I say creatives, the creatives understand that I'm talking about them. So that's a very interesting thing I have discovered myself that when um, when I you know address someone which I guess resonates with them they will remember you. So when okay. I say creatives, even if other people who are not creatives don't really get it, the creatives know that they're the creatives. If that even that, makes that any sense to you. <laughs> no, it does. So I feel like if somebody like myself says, "Well, what's a creative?" then we're probably not a creative. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's like but, its own little world. 
Yeah, so you know that's 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 something really interesting I found, and uh, that's because of my background uh, from you know high school. I used to give tours at the Whitney Museum and the Metropolitan Museum, so that allowed me to um, and and I I used to dissect so so much artwork, you know, just like trying to explain it to people and like get their opinions. So I came uh, I came away with a lot of uh, very valuable. Um, experience which allows me to really connect with artists and creatives in a way that most lawyers can't. That's great. And that's what I wanted to ask you too, Sharino, is how how you got here. I'm glad that you brought up, you know, some of what you were doing in high school. Like you had a passion for the arts and so on. Did you foresee yourself going into the legal aspect of that or just give us maybe like a summary of there to here. Yeah. Yeah. So I absolutely didn't um ever have plans of becoming a lawyer. In fact, I was dead set on becoming an archaeologist. Um, and in college, I actually went on two different digs to Denmark, uh, excavations where we found Viking villages, uh, etc. Um, that was very exciting because that's what wow. I wanted to do. Yes. And um, some of the artifacts that we did find, they ended up in museums all across the world. And I realized after doing those two um, field schools that the thing I really loved about archaeology was the actual excavation. And I realized that the older you become, the less valuable you become in the field because you're no longer the one that's actually digging. You're either doing the research or you're just tucked away in the back somewhere, you know, looking at the artifacts after the fact. So that's not what I envisioned myself doing. Um, so in a way, I kind of envisioned my my future like a graph. Um, so my value would go down as I age, which is going to, which is inevitable, everybody ages. So I needed to find a career that would increase my value as I was getting older. So the next thing I thought about was I love to find loopholes and I love to argue. That's in my life <laughs> so okay. I thought what can I get into that would allow me to do that and um, so there it was it was law so I decided that I was going to go to law school and you know the older you get the more you know about the law the more uh, I guess the more valuable you become in this field so that's that's how I chose to become a lawyer that's really cool. So if you're anybody out there who's an arguing archaeologist might have a future in law. <laughs> Who would have Maybe. Hey, you never know. <laughs> yep. And so how did you, I understand how you got to law, but I think the big thing every business owner asks is who's going to be my target market? Who am I going after out there? Uh, you mentioned those three uh, niches that you have. How did you how did you kind of penetrate those markets or or was that like a natural market that you already had connections in those areas? Um, so I, I discussed um, the art, the creative part um, of how I went into that field. So I'll tell you a little bit more about the fashion and the pet industry. So the fashion, I was always into it. I, I, I have an eye for fashion. I love everything about you know, putting together outfits, etc. But I don't really see myself becoming uh, a professional in the fashion industry in its traditional sense. Like I, I don't see myself becoming a fashion designer or a merchandising expert or anything like that. So when I, I noticed that um, fashion designers um, often think like creatives because they are so involved in creating their next best piece that they often forget, you know, to uh, focus on the protection aspect of it. So I thought, okay, let's see how I how I can uh, incorporate fashion into my practice. So I started, you know, giving talks at various gatherings where um, fashion designers would be, and eventually I was invited several times to the to FIT, which is the Fashion Institute of Technology, a few blocks away from my office in New York. So I started doing that. Um, and more and more people were able to relate to me because of not only the way um, I present myself, which is very different from your traditional attorney. Um, I don't like the stiff look. I just like to look nice and approachable, someone that you can speak to and walk away knowing that, uh, you know, that I, that I explained something to you in a way that you would understand. 
so that's how I got into fashion. I, it's a personal passion of mine and I needed to find a way to incorporate that into my practice. And I did by putting myself mm. out there um, where the fashion designers are. And then the pet industry, it's funny because um, I got into that because of my dog who, was, who just turned seven, I think last month, yes. Um, and he is a little Maltese and poodle mix. So he's a multi-poo, he's eight pounds um, of weight. And he has no idea how small he is. Um, <laughs> and he is, um, he's an actual model. So he's, he's modeled pet carriers and, you know, pet fashion accessories and clothes and food and things like that. Um, really cool. when I, yeah, he had a lot of uh, followers on Instagram at one point before I became too busy to to take him around and, and you know photograph his uh, his life. Gotcha. But, so uh, that's where Instagram <laughs> worked for you was with the dog. <laughs> well, he yeah, at one point he had over three thousand followers, and Jeez. I was I took yeah I took him to New York one time, um, and someone actually recognized him on the street and said hey is that merlin it was completely <laughs> <No way. laughs> surreal because that's awesome i was like yes that's 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 He's him <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um so that was that's fun cool. and yeah and i i needed to figure out how i can you know bring him to events and um just just to you know include him in my life because at that point i didn't have any kids so i just yep. wanted to bring him along in every place I went. Um, so I needed to find a, a way to make it acceptable. So I thought, hey, let me check out the pet industry because they often have expos and this and that, and he's already into modeling. So what ended up happening is a lot of um, the clients, a lot of the people that he was modeling for, a lot of those companies became my clients. So mm -hmm. then I kind of had a step in and I, I actually have one uh, expo presentation coming up at the end of September. I was supposed to be in Florida to do that talk because of COVID, you know, it's become a virtual thing. Um, but I've done talks all over the country for the pet industry, um, wow. which, uh, yeah, which, you know, I, I, which has been extremely rewarding because the people that have pet businesses, I found are extremely friendly. They understand, uh, my personal passion for pets and animals so it's very natural to speak to them and they feel comfortable speaking to me as well which is why i think that that's sense. been a really yeah that's been a really amazing uh, group of people to work with yeah and that's definitely an eclectic mix that you have uh, uh for you i know i sound a little bit crazy you don't even have it's to say a creative that. no <laughs> it makes sense and obviously it's working for you. You know, like we mentioned in your intro that six times now you've been named a rising star super lawyer. And as just as I was saying that, I said, you know, how long are you rising? Like at what point, um, what exactly is that? That's a you good question. So you have to be under 40 to keep rising and I'm under 40. <laughs> so okay, so it's an age. I thing. may be rising for a little bit longer, <laughs> like okay. five more years longer. <laughs> got it it got is it. yeah that's a good question though thanks is that how they do a lot of the accolades like in the the legal field is like pre-40 after 40 like young professional experience yeah professional yeah, yeah. they do a lot of age-based um stuff um I, it's either under 40 or you've been in um in practice i think over like 15 years or something like that so okay. you know that's yeah that's not me yet so you're not the only one to have asked why are you still rising what when are you actually going to be a super lawyer <laughs> and, <Yeah>. um, <laughs> i figured i wouldn't be the first to ask and what exactly is that like do do other attorneys vote on that or how do you get selected yes. for that honor yeah so um it's it's based on peer review and then once other attorneys submit your name to um to the organization they do their own vetting um so so you know every year it's i guess it's a different um it's a different process right so every year someone would have to nominate me and every year they would have to vet me to figure out if i'm still qualified okay very good and so you're, you're doing a ton with business owners right now and have seen some different business cycles, a lot of ups and downs, you know, just over the past decade, even 
what are some of the the mistakes that you're seeing uh you know business owners make whether they're a seasoned professional or it's somebody just saying hey i got an idea that i want to make a reality um where are they going wrong what are some of the common hurdles that they face um okay so my biggest um it's become a pet peeve because people just don't take uh take it seriously and um it's so detrimental to their business so here it is they spend more money on advertising and marketing than they do on legal work so they would go and they would spend you know thousands of dollars getting the name out there getting the logo out there but they they don't want to spend a couple of thousand dollars to protect their business identity so now now what they have efficiently and uh, sufficiently done is they have put their brand out in the world and they're being seen because they spend so much money on wanting to be seen but they don't realize that now it's going to be much harder to protect the brand because someone else may have copied it which does happen a lot believe it or not um, sure and yeah and you know then it becomes okay we have to start negotiating to coexist or now we have to ask for damages it has even happened where my clients even though it was their brand someone else went ahead and registered it so now they would have to pay to get out of the mess um so that's hmm. that's been the biggest mistake and my biggest pet peeve with um you know with small business owners is that they're so interested in getting big and getting out there and being in everybody's face that they forget the first step really um, is to, you know, to protect themselves. They just completely ignore it or forget it, or maybe a combination of both. Hmm. And now is that both trademarking and copywriting? Like, is that all kind of in that, that, that realm? Yeah. So it's, it's all under the intellectual property realm. I would say yeah. it's more so with the, with the trademark issues, because what you can trademark, uh, you know, most of the time it's your business name, your logo, your slogan, um, so it's basically the identity of your brand. Um, and, and, you know, it often, the logo oftentimes falls under, excuse me, under copyright law as well. So, you know, unless you really are speaking to someone who does this on a daily basis, you're not going to know what to do. And there are different ways of filing for a trademark. So if you're not doing it the correct way, um, you're not doing yourself a favor either. So these are, you know, these are things that continuously come up and I keep talking about it in, in all my talks. So I'm hoping at least, you know, uh, some people will listen to this and realize that, hey, maybe I should just take a step back and just invest in my future and my business's future and speak to someone that can really help me um, to know what, what steps are out there for me to take. And then once you have that information, you can decide I'm not going to do it or I'm going to do it. At least it's, you know, it's an informed decision and it's not something that you, you know, just, just ignored. I got it. And then does that apply to pretty much anything from, you know, a, a restaurant to just coming up with a logo to, you know, writing a book or anything in between? Yes. Um, yeah. All of those. <laughs> so okay. a restaurant would definitely have a name. Most oftentimes, nowadays anyway, they have logos um, and, you know, writing a book that would fall under copyright law. I know a lot of people have moved um, their businesses um, to online sort of business. So they, they're selling um, downloadable um, booklets on various subjects, right? So those booklets, mm -hmm. before you put it on your website, you should be protecting it because if you're not, someone else can easily start using those and, you know, even claim that it's theirs and you have no protection in place. Interesting. Cause you know, I never, and maybe I'm guilty of this. I did not look too much into that when I wrote my book, millennial millionaire. And that mm -hmm. came out, uh, you know, about four years ago now. And it was funny cause it was what I thought was a great title. It resonated with a lot of people. Uh, and then as soon as it went up on Amazon and everywhere within probably I don't know, another six months, there are probably four more copies uh, or books that had taken the same title, Millennial Millionaire, and just added a little subtitle or byline to that. Uh, is that is that normal? Because I mean, you do see multiple books out there that have the same title. So you brought up an interesting point, and that's one of the that's one of the exceptions to the the trademark rule. So the the title would normally be a trademark matter, and 
uh, the USPTO, the United States Patent and Trademark Office, would only allow you to trademark a book title if it's a series, which is why you're seeing mm. other ones with the same title. Because yours is not a series, I'm guessing, right? No, no, it's just that one book. I've yeah, thought about so it in the future. Like, mm -hmm. Do I maybe make it a series where we have you know, part two or part three? Yeah, so if you make it a series at that point, you can, you can definitely, um, you know, we can definitely discuss how you can protect uh, the actual title of the book. That's interesting. And now you work exclusively in New Jersey and New York, correct? Yes. However, sure. um, because trademark and copyright issues are federal, I have clients all over the country for, for those. And that was going to be my question is how this relates to crossing state lines. And even if you could touch on a little bit, even internationally. Um, and the reason I ask is we just hear so much uh, from China. And since this, mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it, trade war tariffs, all this stuff started um, with Trump's administration, that's one thing that they highlight constantly is we've got Apple over here in America, and then you have Apple in China that's the exact same, but it's not actually Apple. It's, it's like a pirated version of that. So how did things work across America, but then also internationally, if you do you know, focus on any of that? So um, I don't do any international law. and. Uh, Intellectual property like trademark, copyright, patent law—they're all—they um, all have their own um, countries' designation on how they're going to be treated, right? So, U.S. has its own laws surrounding those matters. Um, you know, Canada has its own laws. So, each country would have their separate laws. Um, so, if you have a question regarding a certain country, you know, you would definitely need to speak to an attorney from there. But just from like personal experience and growing up in New York City, I mean, have you been to Chinatown? There is a, uh, there is a, a knockoff for everything, it's you know, true. for, yep. yeah. And, and there's really not much anyone can successfully do if China doesn't itself police, you know, the counterfeiting market, because I, as I understand, it's a huge market there. Um, sure. So that's, you know, that's not something I can really touch on because I don't know Chinese law, but, you know, I don't, it doesn't seem like they really have any problems um, internally with when, with counterfeiting because it's getting them so much money, right? So yeah. I think that's the problem there. However, what the U.S. Customs does, um, if it's a registered trademark, is that they can actually uh, take the goods and uh, and you know charge them based on whatever the tariffs or whatever the situation may be. I have a friend who is um, a customs attorney, and he and I often work together because a lot of the times um, the clients that he has, their marks are not registered, so then they don't have a protection, any protection from uh, the customs or border patrol. So we work together to, to make sure that his clients' marks are protected before they're doing any import, export sort of situation. Now you mentioned about within the US. So if, if a mark is registered with the USPTO, which is again, the United States Patent and Trademark Office, then it's uh, protected within the entire country. So because okay. it's federal, it protects you in every state, not just okay. where you are. Mm -hmm. And same with the copyright laws. It's, it's for the entire country. Got it. Yep, that sounds fair. It's just, it's a shame when you go to the international stage, I guess there's no universal agreement amongst every country like they do in all these different trade agreements. Maybe, maybe there is in some respect, but it sounds like China, for instance, can kind of play by their own rules and just do that so long as right. they wish well, until we intervene. Well, there, there are like the Madrid protocol for trademark, but you know, it really depends on how much a country is willing to actually abide by these rules. Right. Correct. So yeah. that's, it. that's the problem. <laughs> yep. Yep. Okay. That's interesting. So you think that that's like the, the big mistake that early entrepreneurs make is they dive into the business, they try and build the business, but they don't take that maybe initial step of trademark and copyright. Yes. And, you know, I, I understand. It seems like a daunting process. You don't know how much a lawyer is going to charge. And that, again, goes back to why I, I charge flat fees, because at least you know how much it would cost. People just focus so much these days on advertising and marketing that they don't realize they're really doing horrible damage to their business brand. Because once you, you know, put it out there for the entire universe to look at, 
the cat's out of the bag, you know, and then you have to kind of try to reel it back in and that becomes a problem sometimes. Um, And I have had so many clients come to me and say, Hey, I, I showed this, this uh, merchandise in uh, a conference or an expo and now someone else has copied it. And at that point, Mm -hmm. you know, your choices, your options are really limited. And so and it's okay if you, you don't want to answer this, but just for, to give people an idea, what would that flat fee possibly run? Like, let's say that we have, you know, a, a dentist or a couple dentists that say, all right, we want to go start our own practice and we mm-hmm. want to call it, you know, whatever, bright white smiles or something. And they think that that's mm-hmm. the unique name that they want to capture. Um, what's that, what would that typically run them? You know, because a lot of people obviously don't mm-hmm. do this. They just move right past it. Right. So for that, I would definitely, you know, say that um, contact me because there are different ways of filing for a trademark. Um, so the fee would would depend on which way you wanted to apply for it. But you're looking at under under two thousand. Okay. If it's okay. yeah, if it's if it's one international class, meaning which category you would be applying for. Um, but you know, just just as a very loose, uh, I guess, idea. But definitely, you know, I would need to speak to the person and understand what it is that they're trying to protect because they may not be able to apply for it in the way that, you know, that this fee applies to. So I don't want to say it and, you know, say or suggest in any way that that is, you know, absolutely written in concrete. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it just gives an idea. And so what are you seeing from... uh, you know, business and, and entrepreneurship in particular, as far as like trends moving forward. I know right now, every every day, if you read the Wall Street Journal or something, you hear about the gig economy, putting that in mm-hmm. air quotes. Is, is that where we're headed? Like is, is entrepreneurship something that everybody's going to want to have their finger in? Or what's uh, what's your thoughts on that in the future? I think entrepreneurship is definitely on the rise. Um, Think about anyone and everyone you know. They probably have some sort of a side, quote-unquote, hustle. Mm -hmm. Whether or not it's making them any money right now, they hope to take that to the next level. Even, for example, you know, Brian, you, you have this podcast going, um, um, and, you know, I I definitely want to listen to more of your shows, your episodes, but you're doing it because... I don't, I don't know, you know, if it's, if it's like generating any income for you, but you want to be known for what you do, maybe through this podcast, right? You are, mm-hmm. um, you are very knowledgeable in what you do. So people are getting some sort of value from these podcasts too. So this could be considered your gig as well. And I apologize. I didn't ask you more about, you know, like oh, about the podcast and where you plan on taking it. Maybe that's something we can talk about later. Um, yeah, definitely. But yeah, I mean, people are no longer defined as one thing, right? Like even for myself, I'm an attorney and, you know, I also am an avid entrepreneur. I have my own app, etc. So I cannot be put in a box, I don't mm-hmm. think, um, as attorneys would have been like, let's say even 20 years ago. Yeah. Like I, f- I feel that 20 years ago, if you were X, you kind of stayed in that X. You didn't really you know venture into other things that often but now i feel like everyone has something else um you know whether it's just for you know enjoyment like if it's a hobby or they hope to eventually take it to the next level and you know yeah so i think i think it's definitely on the rise yeah and, and i love that and i think anything that you read particularly about millennials that's something that you're always hearing about is you know following a passion uh, having those side hustles, you know, it's like gone are the days of just that nine to five from when I'm 20 to 65 and then I, I punch the clock and I'm out. So it's exactly, it's and you're, you're also time. an author. You're also an yeah. author, which, you know, which I should uh, reiterate. So, I mean, you, you too, you can't fit into a small box. Um, no, not at all. That's things. what I was going to say that you're, you're preaching to the choir here because that's like uh, a. <laughs> You know, I definitely have my day business as a financial advisor to clients all across the country, but there's so many things that I do that are separate or that sometimes even blend into this business, like, you know, my book or the podcast. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's fun, different ways to kind of communicate and, and connect with people. Uh, and, and that's one thing maybe we could talk a little bit about is, you know, as we speak, 
you're seeing Amazon, uh, Facebook, some of the biggest companies in the entire world uh, under attack in a way uh, as being perhaps monopolies. And some could make a very good case that they are monopolies, but then the other could say, you know what, that's what's enabling this entire gig economy uh, is the platforms that they've created. Uh, so do you think that there will be just more of that or do you think companies like that actually could get broken up? Um, I think especially in, in uh, American history, there has always been a wave of like things happening and then it gets broken down and something new comes out of it. Um, nothing really stays big forever. I feel and um, yeah, Amazon and, and you know, Apple, these guys are huge. They seem like they can never come down. But if, you know, if history is an indicator, I think there will be a huge change um, when I don't know, but there, there will be a huge change. Um, and I can't say that it's all for good or all for for the worst that it's going to, you know, that it is what it is right now. Because let's say we didn't have these platforms now, would we be where we are today? I don't think so. Um, no, and would we be, not. yeah, would we be able to inspire the next generation if we didn't have these collective experiences? I don't think so either. So I think, you know, it all goes as it should um, and no. um, it goes in waves. So I think the next wave is going to be a huge spike in entrepreneurs. That's just my guess. I don't, I don't think people love big companies as they used to in the past. I, I feel like with the new generation, they're more about, you know, work-life balance. They're more about happiness. They're more about self-care. And these things are going to lend to them wanting to create their own space, their own work. So I think that's where we're going. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, I think that's exactly kind of where the world's heading. Um, barring any crazy flare-ups uh, with the whole economy that we're dealing with right now. But that's one I thing, know. too. I mean, this pandemic has given, like you talked about at the outset, a lot of folks out there a chance to sit back and maybe they got weighed off, maybe they've been downsized, and they say, you know, what the heck am I doing with my life? Like, where, where do I want to go? So maybe you'll see a whole new company or idea come out of this uh, pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think we just have to keep our minds open because no one would have expected this pandemic to happen. I mean, you know, just March 14th, like no one had any idea what was going to happen, you know, the next couple of days. Um, and here we are. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's wild how unpredictable the world is. And it's funny, it was, um, I saw something, it was, it was talking about everything that's happened since January 1st this year, not to digress too much. But mm -hmm. we were talking about, you know, the impeachment, uh, you know, all these other things going on in the economy. And then all of a sudden, a global pandemic strikes that pretty much like a switch turns off the economy, you know, almost across the world. And we have, you know, $2 trillion bailouts and all this, this mayhem that's still lingering on. And mm -hmm. what, what the gentleman had said on the show is, if December 31st, you had a crystal ball and you could say, all right, I can predict the future and all this stuff that's just absolutely insane with riots and viruses and everything else is going to occur in 2020, would you invest your money in the stock market? And they said, you know, 100 out of 100 people would say, absolutely not. That's going to be the worst year ever. And now here we are sitting, you know, at the recording of this in July of 2020, and the markets are flat or even tech is, is up quite a bit. And, and so it's just such a, uh, a strange time where, where things are happening and sometimes the consequences uh, that we would expect are not there, you know, so it's, it's definitely strange. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the only way um, anyone can really get out of it and feel somewhat okay is, is to be flexible and to be open-minded um, and just not give up because I know for so many clients of mine, not just, you know, friends and family, it's just been such a rough time because not everyone has money saved up. Um, yeah. And, you know, you as a financial advisor, too, you know this probably more than I do, but a lot of people don't have money saved for the next month or whatever. They're going month to month and it's it's really, really tough. So I think, yeah. you know, having having some good sense of humor, having some courage and strength, that's what's going to get everybody through it. Yeah, without a doubt. I agree. 
And the last thing I want to touch on is obviously you're very big into networking. You've got those creative, you know, no pun intended uh, niches that, that you've developed and have had a lot of success with. Can you talk a little bit about networking? And what I'd like to hear about too is this app that you created talking about having a side gig uh, called Meetpreneur. Uh, what exactly is that? And how is this all kind of working uh, for you? Sure. Um, so I wholeheartedly believe that networking is the best way to not only make yourself known in your business, but to also keep your business growing and to keep it relevant. I built my practice in New York um, without having any real um, business foundation in New York City because I went to um, undergrad in Buffalo, then I went to Michigan for law school. So by the time I came back to New York, um, I grew up in Astoria. So by the time I came back, I didn't have any professional connections in New York because my connections were either in Buffalo or in Michigan. So I was networking what feels like now, looking back day and night with anyone that would meet with me um, to talk about their business, to talk about how um, they were navigating the waters in New York City, because that is a such, that's such a tough market to break into. And then you talk about law, which is an extremely competitive um, career choice <laughs> to begin yeah. with. Uh, but in New York City, you know, to be um, a law firm, a new law firm, and to actually be successful is, is really something else. And I um, don't quite think if I had to start it now that I could be where I am now, um, you know, in the same amount of time. I had a lot of time when I started my practice and I, you know, didn't have that many clients obviously in the beginning. So I, I invested those um, three hours of my day to getting to know more people. And, um, you know, because of doing that for so many years, I, you know, was getting clients through word of mouth and because people were trusting me and they knew what kind of a person I was. So I think a lot of my success has to, you know, be credited to, I guess, um, not just networking, but meaningful networking. So, I'll tell you also how I came up with the idea for my uh, for my app. Um, so I was uh, actually waiting for this woman uh, for lunch. Um, I had just had my second baby, and she was I think five or six months old. So I had a two-year-old and a and a five. I would say she was six months old. And um, this woman, who is an immigration attorney, she was asking me to meet up with her so she can quote unquote pick my brain and see how I you know, grew my practice. And I kept saying, you know, I'm really busy because I was, I was either with my family or seeing clients running my practice. So eventually I, I finally said, okay, fine, let's have lunch somewhere. We'll, we'll talk about everything that you need to know over lunch. So she picked a restaurant that she wanted to check out. I was waiting in the restaurant for her. 30 minutes go by, she doesn't show up. So I checked the email um, on my phone and it says, hey, I'm really sorry, I can't make it today. I decided to have lunch with my husband. That was it. <laughs> I was so upset and I was actually angry too because here I was, I had no time to spare for anything. I would rather be home with my, my kids if I wasn't working. Yep. But here's this woman who I was trying to help out and she just basically stood me up to go have lunch with her husband. It wasn't even anyone that, you know, was going to leave or was in a hurry. Yeah. So, um, so I sat there and I ordered my food and I, and I got to thinking, Hey, wouldn't it be nice if there was, um, some sort of an app that would show me, uh, you know, where the nearby entrepreneurs are who have free time, who would be similarly situated like myself, um, that I could meet with and not really waste this hour. So that's, you know, there was nothing like that. And so I was like, okay, so I think I should create that. So that's how the idea started. Now the app is available on uh, <clears throat> iOS and Android. However, like everything else that we discussed today, that is also undergoing going a tremendous facelift. And um, I can't wait for the new release, which is hopefully going to happen next month sometime. Um, so that's, that's my big news that's coming up. And, you know, uh, you that's mentioned great. during my, thank you. You mentioned during my intro with the, the Fox appearance. So I was on Fox to uh, make a debut for the app and then the pandemic happened. So this is oh, literally no. <laughs> two, two weeks before 
uh, yeah, I think it was like March 1st or 2nd that was on Fox. And I had a whole bunch of other appearances lined up for NBC, um, for CBS um, in DC. And then the pandemic hit. So everything was canceled. Um, Yeah, so I don't know if if I'll get those chances again, but I'm taking this, you know, so-called downtime to really re-envision the whole app and uh, to make it more relevant to today's networking, which is going to be completely different from the, you know, from the running around and meeting over coffee with everybody. I love the idea. I think you're spot on with that. That's uh, definitely riding the wave that we're on right now. And so you you had this idea that that popped into your head at that, that lunch where you were kind of stood up and then did you take that to like the, the tech people of the app world or I wouldn't even know like where to begin something like that. Who, uh, so, who got you started? Yeah, I actually knew someone that I used for the initial, uh, for the initial, uh, what do you call it? Build. Um, okay. so I didn't just take the idea to someone. I, I used my own advice that I give to my clients. I had them sign a very, uh, very strict NDA, a non-compete agreement and a uh, non-disclosure agreement before I said my, you know, idea to, to them. And then once all of that was, um, you know, once that was signed, we signed another contract to go over all the details. Um, and then, you know, we, I worked on the logo and then the, the name, the name was very hard to come by. It's still not the best, but it gets the, the point across. <laughs> I think it does. Yeah. It's, I don't think that's a bad name at all. That's pretty cool. Thank you. So as we, we kind of wrap up here, is there any other, uh, you know, parting advice or anything else you have going on that, that you want to plug right now or share with our listeners? Um, sure. Um, well, before I, before I say that, I just want to put out the disclaimer that nothing that I said today was legal advice. So all of what I said was just for informational purposes. Um, and if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me or another attorney to talk about your specific needs. Um, with that said, I would say, you know, these are really tough times and a lot of negativity is all over, all around us. It's, um, it's really easy to get ourselves caught up in the negativity or even the uncertainty of things. Um, I would mean if it's just, you know, a social media platform, see how you can adapt to adapt your business to these new times, uh, whether it be through social media or through some other creative means, there are ways to get your business out there. And uh, before you talk to friends and family, just speak to some sort of an advisor who can guide you better. Sure. Yep. And they could even do that right on Meet Kenora and start meeting those people. Yeah. (laughs) So what I like to close with, and we do this with a lot of our guests and, and viewers and listeners, I've said this is sometimes their favorite part, is just a quick lightning round where we'll ask you a couple questions about yourself uh, and then whatever comes to mind, you could shout it right out. Um, are you good with that? Do you have a few more minutes? Oh, sure. I'm a little scared, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll, we'll keep it light. Uh, so the first one is, what's your favorite book? My favorite book? You know, I don't have one. You don't have a favorite book. Sorry, that's a bad answer. (laughs) (laughs) Especially from an attorney. I thought you guys are just reading all the time. (laughs) I mean, honestly, at this point, I haven't like really read for pleasure for a long time just because I'm either, you know, reading up on a new case law, which trust me, it's it's not exciting um, or new (laughs) developments in law. So, you know, any free time I have, I, I try to not. I just try to live at this point. <laughs> I know it sounds okay. horrible. No, that's uh, sorry. I get it. Sometimes you just gotta kind of get by in the times. But maybe a, a, a modification. Of that I do. Question. I do like the trusted advisor. The trusted advisor. It's 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 a it's a pretty good book. Um, the trusted advisor. So I guess check okay. that out. Mm-hmm. And what about favorite movie? Favorite movie. I okay. I'll tell you one of my childhood favorite movies. It's The Goonies. The Goonies. That's a classic. That's a good one. And do you have a favorite quote that you live by? A favorite quote. Um, okay. A it has changed over <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think um, it's a new one that I saw. It's create things you wish existed. And um, it's actually. You wish existed. Okay. Yeah. 
And it's actually, I made a sign of it and um, a sign out of it in metal and I have it in my office here. Um, so anytime, you know, I look at it, I, I immediately go back to me creating that app and immediately think of my clients who are creating things that are not already out there, but that they think mm. is necessary in the world. I like it. And any favorite food? I love Thai food. Thai food. Okay. Anything in, Thai, I think I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> and in line with that, what's uh, the, the favorite place uh, that you've traveled to or vacation to? Um, absolute favorite would be Egypt. Um, if you're thinking about history, but if you're thinking about natural beauty, I would say New Zealand. Okay. Very cool. And can you point to a defining success and a defining failure uh, that you may have experienced either as a student or in your career thus far? Um, okay, defining failure. No, that's a failure. big one. <laughs> no, that is. Well, defining success. You know, I roamed around so long um, just checking boxes of like, okay, I did this and I did this and I did this, but I never defined what success means to me personally and that is something I actually incorporate into a lot of my talks that I never defined what success means to me for the longest time and that created a lot of uh, I guess anxiety and fear in me because I kept thinking I, I wasn't successful but I had to look back and uh, the day that I realized I checked off all these criteria I made for myself and I went above and beyond that. That was the day, um, I think that was, that was my success moment because I figured out a good balance between family time and work time. So that was huge for me. That was something I was struggling with. So I would say that's the biggest success is figuring out that I have to separate the two things and I can't focus on both things all at the same time because that will drive me crazy. So I think that was my biggest, yeah. And, and finding any, that balance is so important. Sure. And any failure or mistake that you wish you could go back and undo, maybe starting out or being a business owner like yourself? Failure. Huh. Okay. Let's see. A big failure. I made mistakes along the way, of course, like anybody else. I think the biggest failure was what I felt when my first version of the app didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. And um, because it kept, it had so many issues and I already put my name on it, right? I told everybody it's coming out and um, I'm, I'm very uh, conscious as to what I put my stamp of, stamp of approval on. So that was really tough for me because a lot of it wasn't working and I was getting feedback from people saying, Hey, it's freezing or Hey, it's uh, it's not working um, very well. So those things are obviously things that we're fixing right now, but that was, I think that was my biggest failure, not necessarily in an objective way because the app was still out. These were like little things that just didn't go well. But to me personally, that was a huge failure because I felt like, people were just able to see the failure in their hands, right? Because it was in the app and it wasn't working. So I, oh, I think that that's my personal, that's what I feel is, is my big personal failure is it wasn't perfect. Okay. No, thank you for sharing that. And I guess the very last one that I like to ask as a financial advisor, and this is just strictly your opinion. Do you have a, uh, an investment that you're very proud of? Maybe, you know, the best investment or pick or choice uh, that you made in respect to finance. Yes. Yeah. yes. Do you want me to talk about it? Yeah, far away. What is it? <laughs> okay. Um, so we, um, we rented out our, our first home that we bought together. And um, before we rented it to our tenants, we thought about actually selling it to get rid of the responsibility, but we decided to keep it as an investment property. So we're, I'm really proud of that because um, it was not an easy decision to make. And especially with tenants, you know, breaking things and needing things constantly, it becomes a huge hassle. But I'm just happy we kept it because with these uncertain times, you know, it's, it's good to know that I have something to fall back on. Okay. All right. That's, that's great. So I believe we covered just about everything that we could here. Uh, so 
I just want to say thank you to all of our listeners for staying tuned this week. And especially thank you to you, Sharina, for appearing on our show and sharing so much about yourself and, and what's going on uh, in small business today. I think people will find thank it you. very useful. Thank you so much for having me. It was great talking to you. Yeah, without a doubt. And everyone, please keep continuing to tune in every week as we bring you more exciting content. And wherever you're tuning in, please do consider uh, leaving us a, a review, hopefully a five-star review, and share this with your friends. That's the way that we continue to grow this podcast and get more and more information out there for you folks. So again, that you can achieve wealth in its original meaning, which is a state of well-being. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. The Coderna Podcast is for informational purposes only. Individual situations may vary and the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guardian and its subsidiaries do not provide tax, legal, social security, student loan, mortgage, or real estate advice. Listeners should contact their own tax, accounting, or legal advisors or the social security department in this matter. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Brian Coderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PASS, 300 Broad Acres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003. Securities, products, services, and advisory services are offered through PASS, a registered broker, dealer, and investment advisor. Nine Seven three two four 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 two zero. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Passes an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Coderna Financial Team and International Planning Alliance, LLC, are not affiliates or subsidiaries of Pass or Guardian. Coderna Financial Team is a division of International Planning Alliance, LLC, a general agency of Guardian. Pass is a member of FINRA, SIPC. California Insurance License Number, OK04194. Content of the Coderna Podcast is copyright of Brian M. Coderna, all rights reserved. Any redistribution or reproduction of part or all of the content in any form is prohibited without prior permission from the Coderna Podcast. The views and opinions expressed herein may not be those of Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, or any of its subsidiaries or affiliates. Guardian does not verify and does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of, of the information or opinions presented herein. Any third-party materials referenced cannot be endorsed or verified by Guardian and are used as the opinion of the author. Guardian, its subsidiaries, or affiliates do not provide or issue or advise for mortgages. This material contains the current opinions of the author, but not necessarily those of Guardian or its subsidiaries, and such opinions are subject to change without notice.